Compassion for God and compassion for our neighbor. Reaching our region and beyond with the life-changing message of Jesus Christ. This is Crosswinds Church. And now, here's Pastor Kurt Truxas. This week I did a little research. I learned that America has 327 million people approximately, but that also each year there are about 3 million of us that pass away. This means that The Undertaker has sort of a recession-proof business. Because if you do the math on that, there is 8,219 people on average that die a day in the United States. Now, since COVID-19 has come into the United States, and the first death was in the United States on February 29th, approximately now on this weekend, there have been about 23,000 people who have died from COVID-19, and people are in a panic about that. But they seem to forget that from February 29th to today, there has been 353,000 other people that have died just from other things. Maybe they died from cancer. Maybe they died from old age. Maybe they were just hit by a truck. But the truth is that the average American since February 29th has been 15 times more likely to die of some other disease than the COVID-19 disease. Now, it's interesting to me that we would shut down an entire nation <laughs> so that people will not contract this virus and ultimately to die from this virus. But at the same time, it's much more likely that you or I will die from something else at that very same time. Now, I'm not telling you that you shouldn't use hand sanitizer. I'm not saying that you shouldn't wear a bandana when you, when you go to Walmart. I mean, that may help sort of postpone sickness. That uh, may help you not contract COVID-19, and that is a, is a good thing. But while we may be able to postpone the day of our death, none of us can cancel the day of our death. And it is likely coming some other way other than the coronavirus itself. And when we die, our eternity is permanently fixed in one of two places with an atmosphere that will never change. And this is why today we celebrate Easter. This is why we celebrate the good news of Jesus and why Jesus came and why Jesus rose because Jesus came for the very reason of changing the way we face death and he came to change what happens to us after death. Listen very carefully to this verse from the book of Hebrews as I read it. Since, therefore, the children share in flesh and blood, he himself likewise partook of the same things, that through death he might destroy the one who has the power of death, that is, the devil, and deliver all those who through fear of death were subject to lifelong slavery. The reason that Jesus came and that he died, and that he rose from the grave, is to release us from our fear of death. To change the moment of our death from a, a terrifying journey to an anticipated welcome. 
to change the moment of death from the worst moment in our life to actually the best moment of our life. And the way that Jesus changed our fear of death is by becoming one of us, taking on sin for us, dying for us, and then rising from the grave. So Jesus, the scripture says, destroyed Satan, and Jesus ultimately has destroyed the most powerful weapon in Satan's arsenal, the weapon of death itself. I like the way Paul summarizes it in 1 Corinthians 15. He says, O death, where is your victory? O death, where is your sting? But thanks be to God who gives us the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. This summer when a, when a bee is flying around us, most of us will be freaking out as it sort of harasses us and tries to land on us and to sting us. But imagine what it would be like if someone had removed the stinger from the bee. Well, the bee could harass us, fly around us, try and land on us, but it would be absolutely harmless to us. There is nothing it could do to us. Folks, that is what Jesus has done to the sting of death. He has removed its sting so there is nothing that, Je that death can do to us to hurt us. Now today in this world, there's a lot of people who struggle with the idea that Jesus literally rose from the grave. Many people are willing to accept Jesus as a good moral teacher or the apostles as good instructors, but the idea that Jesus literally rose from the grave is too much to conceive. They adopt the same position that the Muslims do, that Jesus is a good teacher, but certainly not a living Savior. This morning, we're going to examine those claims. Is it okay to just have Jesus as a good teacher in your life, but not believe that he's literally the risen Savior who conquered death? In the book of 1 Corinthians, chapter 15, Paul answers those questions. In fact, we're going to be looking at verses 12 through 26 this morning, and those verses divide up into two pieces. Verses 12 through 19 tell us everything we lose if Jesus did not literally rise from the grave. And then verses 20 through 26 tell us everything we gain because Jesus did indeed rise from the grave. And I'm going to tell you the answer of what we lose and what we gain uh, right here at the front. If Jesus didn't rise from the grave, we lose everything. But because Jesus did rise from the grave, we gain everything. So follow along with me in your sermon outlines as we fill in the blanks and study these verses together. What do we lose if the resurrection is not true? We lose the hope of our resurrection if Christ wasn't raised. Now, if Christ is proclaimed as raised from the dead, how can some of you say that there is no resurrection of the dead? But if there is no resurrection of the dead, then not even Christ has been raised. In the city of Corinth that Paul was writing to, there were people who were okay with the idea that Jesus rose from the grave, but they couldn't get it into their heads that they would also rise from the grave. They knew what happened when people died. 
People died and they were buried. They became a mulch. They became fertilizer. They became plant food. People went into a graveyard and were buried there, but people didn't come out of a graveyard. They were okay with the idea that Jesus rose from the grave because after all, Jesus is God and God can certainly rise from the grave. But as for us, you and me, now all we will do is push up daisies. That's what they thought. And Paul says, you think your wisdom sounds right, but think it through a little bit. It actually doesn't make sense because Jesus is not just fully God, but Jesus is also fully man. Jesus didn't just appear to be a human being. He actually is a human being. That's why when Jesus was here, Jesus sweat. Jesus was tired. Jesus was hungry. Jesus was thirsty. Jesus experienced real pain. In fact, the whole reason that Jesus left heaven itself and was born in the womb of Mary was to completely identify with us and to become one with us. So he can be a human being, 100% pure and true. That's sort of the big E on the I chart, that Jesus is not just fully God, but he's also fully man. And the only reason Jesus left heaven and came to earth and identified with us was to save us. Jesus didn't come and take on a human body to live, suffer, and die for his sake. He came and took on a body to live, suffer, and die for our sake. It's impossible, Paul says, to think of Jesus rising from the dead without us also realizing that we too will rise from the dead. Jesus' resurrection and our future resurrection are inseparably connected, is what he says. Now, as Christians, you need to remember that as Christians, we do not merely simply die and turn into to plant food. We may die, but just as Jesus rose from the dead, so will we rise. The world around you wants you to think that this life is all there is. That you're born, and then you die, and that's the end of it all. But that's not the truth. Paul says, absolutely not. You may be born, and that may be the beginning of your life, but as Christians, death certainly not is not the end of our life. That we will continue to live after life and we will even one day get our resurrection bodies back. When you go to a graveyard, you see that there's a born date and a died date on the tombstone. As if to say this is when someone's life began and this is when someone's life ended. And that's not totally true. The born date may be right, because that's when someone's life began, but the death date is not really a death date. It's a transition date, because when people die and when Christians die, they are still alive. Each one of us will exist forever into eternity, and one day as Christians, 
we will even get our self-same bodies back. So if Jesus didn't rise from the dead, then we won't rise from the dead. But because Jesus did rise from the dead, Paul says it's a guarantee that we also will rise from the dead. That's the first point he makes. The next thing he says is this. If Jesus didn't rise from the dead, we lose the Christian faith and the church. And if Christ has not been raised, then our preaching is in vain and your faith is in vain. If Christ didn't rise from the dead, the church is just useless. Our Christian faith is useless. It is a complete waste of time. There's ultimately um, nothing that we, no reason that we should be here at all if Jesus didn't rise from the dead. The church is not based on the fact that Jesus died on the cross. Lots of people died on crosses. The church is based on the fact that Jesus rose from the dead after he died on the cross. And if Jesus didn't indeed rise to newness of life, there is no reason we should be worshiping him. There's no reason we should be praying to him. There's no reason we should be singing to him. No reason we should be reading our Bibles. There's no reason to gather in church on Sunday. In fact, if Jesus didn't rise from the dead, we should be someplace else besides church on Sunday. If Jesus didn't rise from the dead, our Bibles are meaningless. The apostles are useless. The church is a joke. Our faith is in vain. It's an absolute waste of time. Paul tells us more we lose if Jesus didn't literally rise. He says we lose the truth, the truth about God. In verse 15, he says we are even found to be misrepresenting God because we testified about God that he raised Christ whom he did not raise if it is true that the dead are not raised. If Jesus didn't indeed rise from the dead, all those who have claimed that he rose from the dead are actually just liars and deceivers. If Jesus' body, after it was taken down from the cross, was thrown in a trash heap where it was composed, or it was eaten by scavenger dogs, as some have claimed, that means that the apostles and literally hundreds of others who claim they met the risen Jesus, they talked with the risen Jesus. They touched the risen Jesus. They ate with the risen Jesus. And Paul says that happened to more than 500 people sometimes at one time. It would mean that all of those hundreds of people, people who claim they met a risen Jesus are absolute and complete liars. And they have pulled off the greatest deception in world history. If the resurrection is fiction, instead of fact. If Jesus didn't rise, the apostles and hundreds of others who claim that he did are not just mistaken about the truth. They would be deliberate liars about the truth that have deceived millions in history. But if the apostles are liars and they fabricated a story about Jesus' resurrection, then why were all the apostles willing to face death, 
claiming that Jesus was indeed alive? Why were the apostles and hundreds of others who met Jesus willing to face death and even be tortured and refuse to recant of the fact that they, yes, did indeed meet Jesus. They talked to Jesus. They ate with Jesus. Folks, people will die for something they hope to be true, but they will not die for something they know to be false. People will die for something they hope is actually true, but they will not die for something they intentionally know is false. And if Jesus didn't indeed rise from the grave, then those people were telling an dis- intentional deceptive lie. What about all those people whose lives have been changed by the risen Jesus? Many of us have watched the movie Unbroken, the story of Louis Zamperini, a man who was captured by the Japanese and mercilessly tortured by the Japanese. And after the war, he was brought home and he was consumed with anger and rage, waiting to get even with the Japanese for all they had done to hurt him. But then Louis was introduced to Christ. Louis placed his faith in Christ. And he talks about a supernatural change in his life. When he experienced the forgiveness of God, he found inside of his heart the desire to forgive his captors. And actually, he went back to the Japanese and extended grace, compassion, and mercy to the Japanese. Where does that change come from if the resurrected Jesus isn't truly alive? Was that change just something that Louis Zamperini made up completely in his head? I mean, if Jesus isn't alive, what about Billy Graham? Billy Graham spent his entire life sharing the truth about a resurrected and living Jesus Christ, with tens and hundreds of thousands of people in this world. If Jesus isn't alive, that means Billy Graham was what, not one of the greatest godly men of history. That would mean he was one of the greatest liars and deceivers in all of history. If he was telling people that Jesus is alive and he can change your life, and it was indeed not true. If Jesus, my friends, is, is not risen from the dead, that would mean that you can't just not trust the, the apostles when they say he rose, but you can't trust anything else the apostles say. Because if the apostles were willing to lie about the resurrection of Jesus Christ, that means you should not be able to trust anything else they say. Because you cannot lie in a big thing, but then not lie in little things. They all go together. So if Jesus is not indeed risen, we lose the truth, the truth about God. The next thing Paul says, if Jesus was not risen, we lose forgiveness, forgiveness of sin. For if the dead are not raised, not even Christ has been raised. And if Christ has not been raised, your faith is futile and you are still in your sins. The resurrection of Jesus proves that when he died on the cross, his death was effective payment for our sins. Payment that was complete and full. And if Jesus did not rise from the dead and he died on the cross, that means he was no different than any other man who died on the cross. Our sins are not paid for. Our guilt is still around our neck. 
And when we die, we have nothing to look forward to but judgment. Now, Paul says in Romans that apart from Christ, the longer people live, all they do is they heap up a longer rap sheet, a longer list of guilt and list of judgment for which they must answer before God on the day of their death. If Jesus didn't die and rise, having paid for our sins, we are still in our sins. Now, some people have uh, seared their consciences so much that they believe that after death does not come judgment. They believe that after death comes absolutely nothing. They think it really doesn't matter if we sin, because certainly after death we'll never have to pay for our sin. If that is you, and you think there is no judgment after death for sin, I want to ask you a question. Would an eternity without justice be fair? Would an eternity without justice be fair? Would it be fair for Mother Teresa and Osama bin Laden to experience the exact same conditions for all of eternity? Mother Teresa spent her life giving thousands of people help in life. Osama bin Laden spent his days taking away and torturing thousands of people. Now, wouldn't it be unfair if Mother Teresa and Osama bin Laden, when they both died, had the exact same experience of eternity? An eternity without judgment? Well, if there is no judgment for sin in eternity, then the way we should live in this life is to get maximum pleasure out of this life. It doesn't matter if we cheat, steal, lie, kill, do whatever we have to and to enjoy pleasure in this life and not to avoid sin in this life. But every single one of us knows the honest truth that there are consequences for sin in eternity. That as the Bible says, after death does come judgment. We know that by instinct. Every single one of us does which is why when we sin, we're filled with shame, which is why when we sin, we're filled with guilt. And if Jesus, my friends, did not literally rise from the dead, we are still in our sin. We have no forgiveness of our sin. We have no freedom from our sin. And after death, we will face judgment for our sin. The next point Paul makes is if Jesus did not rise from the grave, we lose the hope of seeing our loved ones. Then those, he says, who have fallen asleep in Christ, they have, they have perished. Now sleep, it's a, a euphemism for death. He says if Jesus didn't indeed rise from the dead, then all the Old Testament saints that looked forward to Jesus and had faith in him for the moment of their death, and all the New Testament Christians who looked back on Jesus and had faith in him to save them for the moment of their death, they are all completely lost. They have perished. They will receive judgment for their sin, not forgiveness of their sin. This means that Grandma when she was on her deathbed and she had her family around her and she was telling them, do not cry because when she breathes her last and when she closes her eyes, it'll be okay because she'll be with Jesus, which will be a good thing, not a bad thing. And when she says, do not worry, we will see one another again. 
when you die and you are with Jesus, you'll be with me. And we'll have a family reunion in those days. But if Jesus did not rise from the dead, this means that when grandma died, she perished. All that happened to her was her body turned to mulch. She turned into plant food that she faced as a spirit. She faced judgment for all eternity. And Grammy will never be back with her children to enjoy them again. She'll be facing judgment instead of, instead of joy for all of eternity. If indeed Jesus didn't rise from the dead, then all of our loved ones who have trusted in him in the face of death have perished. Now Paul continues and he says, if Jesus didn't rise from the dead, we lose all of our efforts to follow Jesus because we were fools. If in Christ we have hope in this life only, we are of all people most to be pitied. Paul comes right out and says, it's, if Christ didn't literally rise from the dead, and we're just a group of people following some random dead man who died on the cross, like hundreds and thousands of other people died on the cross in the ancient world, all we are is a bunch of fools. All we are is a bunch of nutcases, pathetic, pointless people who have been deceived by a lie. Because if Jesus just died on the cross and didn't rise from the grave, he can't help us in this life and he cannot help us in eternal life. There's no point in praying to Jesus if he's still dead. There's no point in going to comfort from Jesus if he's still dead. There's no point in looking to him for relief of anxieties if he's dead. If Jesus is dead, the Christian life is a joke. Christians are a bunch of losers. There is no reason to study our Bible. There is no reason to listen to a sermon. But the good news is that Jesus didn't, <laughs> Jesus literally rose from the grave. Jesus didn't die and just stay dead. The truth is that there's good news. Jesus rose from the dead. Remember, if Jesus didn't rise, we lose everything. But because Jesus did rise, now we find that we gain everything. Look with me and we'll see what Paul says we gain because Jesus did indeed rise. What do we gain because the resurrection is true? Number one, we gain the guarantee of eternal life. But in fact, Christ has been raised from the dead. He is the first fruits of those who have fallen asleep. Jesus' resurrection was just the first resurrection, but friends, it wasn't the last resurrection. Let me explain the difference between a resurrection and a revivification. Lazarus, when he died, Jesus brought Lazarus back to life. But he was brought back to life in just an ordinary human body. And Lazarus later died again. But that is not what resurrection is. Resurrection is taking our ordinary human bodies, bringing them back to life, and changing them into a different body. An eternal body that is just like us, but it will last forever. It is a body that is not known for its weakness, 
but known for its strength. A resurrection body will never get old. A resurrection body will never die. A resurrection body can never get sick. It can never get weak. And Jesus, when he rose from the dead, he didn't just get back his old human body, but that old human body was transformed into a resurrection body. And that is the same kind of body that we will one day get in the future. Jesus' resurrection body is the prototype for our resurrection body. Paul describes Jesus as the first fruits of the dead. What that means, it refers back to Leviticus 23, and it talked about how the harvest would work in ancient Israel. What the Jews were to do was when the harvest season began, they were to go in the fields and take the first grain and the best grain, and they were to bring that to the temple and offer that in worship to God. And once that offering was given and it was accepted by God, then and only then did they go back into the fields and bring in the rest of the massive harvest. And when Jesus is described as the first fruits of the resurrection, that means that Jesus is just is the first resurrection that offered himself to God and was accepted by God, but that is a guarantee that our resurrection is about to come. Because Jesus rose from the dead, our resurrection is guaranteed to happen, and we will also rise from the dead. The next thing that Paul says we gain is this. We gain a new family tree. For as by a man came death, by a man has come also the resurrection of the dead. For as in Adam all die, so also in Christ shall all be made alive. What Paul is talking about in this section is something called federal headship. Federal headship is something we experience right now in our country where the president makes a decision for all of the people in our country. The president is the federal head, and he has made decisions regarding how our country will operate during this particular pandemic. And so the impact of his choices then affect all of the people under him. And Paul is saying that Adam is the first man. He was the federal head of all mankind after him. Choices he made impacted all of us in humanity who came after him. When Adam chose to sin, he, death was the result of sin. And since we're descendants of Adam, we also die because of sin. Since Adam chose to sin, he ended up being enslaved to his sins. And we also, because we're descendants of Adam, who's our federal head, we also find ourselves enslaved to sin. So because we're descendants of Adam, we find ourselves dying because of sin and enslaved to sin. But the amazing good news is that when God sent his son Jesus, Jesus came to create a new family tree. And he is adopting people into that family tree. The family tree of Jesus is not known for death like Adam, but it's known for resurrection life like Jesus. The family tree of 
Um, Jesus is not known for being addicted to sin like Adam, but it's known for freedom from sin like Jesus. Now, the amazing part is that any one of us can today switch family trees. We can move from being part of Adam's family tree of death to being part of Jesus' family tree of life. All we need to do is to repent of our sin and trust Jesus to forgive our sin and God switches our family trees and gives us Jesus as the new federal head of our life. The Bible describes it this way in the Old, Test in the Old Testament. Jesus talks about it this way in the Gospel of John. And as Moses lifted up the serpent in the wilderness, so the Son of Man must be lifted up, that whoever believes in him may have eternal life. The passage that is being referenced by Jesus happened in the Old Testament. When the Israelites were in the wilderness, they are being bitten by poisonous snakes. And they called out to Moses, who called out to God, what should they do? And Moses was told to fashion a bronze snake and put it on a, a pole in the air. And anyone who was bitten by a poisonous serpent could look to that snake. And if they had faith in God's words to look to that snake, they would live and not die. And Jesus says there's a great parallelism between that time and this time for you and me. There's another snake. The snake is called Satan. The poison of his bite, it's called sin. And sin leads to death. But Jesus has come. Jesus has become one of us. He lived with us. He died for us. He too was put up on a tree. And God says that anyone who looks to him, who trusts in him, will be forgiven of their sin. And they will live and they will not die. They will switch family trees. Are you a Christian? Have you switched family trees today? It's a simple thing. It's simply looking to Jesus and trusting in Jesus to forgive us of our sin and asking him to be the new federal head of our life. And we're engrafted into the tree of resurrection life. The story continues. We gain an eternity, Paul says, that gets better. Because Jesus rose. He says, but each in his own order. Christ, the first fruits, then at his coming, those who belong to Christ. Paul's point is that when we as Christians die, we do not get our resurrection bodies immediately. We get our resurrection bodies that are just like Christ's resurrection body when Christ returns. And the question happens, well, what about between now and when Christ returns? What happens to us when Christians die? The scriptures tell us, 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 8, Yes, we are of good courage and would rather be away from the body and at home with the Lord. Paul says that when we die as Christians, we go home to be with the Lord, which is a place we would rather be. And then in Philippians chapter 1, For to me, to live is Christ, and to die is gain. If I'm to live in the flesh, 
Well, that means fruitful labor for me. Yet, which shall I choose? I cannot tell. I am hard-pressed between the two. My desire is to depart and be with Christ, for that is far better. But to remain in the flesh is more necessary on your account. So when a, a Christian dies, while their body goes in the grave, their spirit or the, their soul goes directly home to heaven to be with Jesus. Psalm 16 verse 11 says, being with Jesus is a place of fullness of joy. In other words, to be without our bodies in heaven and to be with Jesus is much better than being apart from Jesus and having our bodies here on earth now. So the transition of death for Christians is always a great promotion. It is a great joy when our spirits get to go home to be with Christ, the place of fullness of joy. But the good news is that heaven will one day get better. Jesus Christ will return from heaven to earth. And when he does return from heaven to earth, at that moment he will bring us with him. And at that moment when he returns, he will resurrect our dead bodies from the earth. And as he does that, he will change them back into, he will change them into resurrection bodies that are just like Jesus' body and then reunite our bodies and our souls together forever. Look how the scriptures describe this. For this we declare to you by a word from the Lord that we who are alive, who are left until the coming of the Lord, will not precede those who have fallen asleep. For the Lord himself will descend from heaven with a cry of command, with the voice of an archangel, and with the sound of the trumpet of God. And the dead in Christ will rise first. Then we who are alive, who are left, will be caught up together with them in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air. And so we will always be with the Lord. Therefore, encourage one another with these words. So when Christ returns, one day he will bring us with him. He will resurrect our dead bodies into, and make them into resurrection bodies, reunite our bodies and souls together. And those who are still alive at the time when Christ returns, who are Christians, will find their living bodies instantly transformed into resurrection bodies. This is what we look forward to, being with Jesus, ultimately in bodies, our resurrection bodies forever. The next thing we gain is we gain victory, victory over all of God's enemies. Then comes the end, when he delivers the kingdom to God the Father, after destroying every rule and every authority and power. For he must reign until he has put all of his enemies under his feet. The last enemy to be destroyed is death. Now he says here that he um, will then comes the end, which means the consummation, sort of the, the great finale. What Jesus will do is he will destroy, it says, every rule, every power, and every authority. Those are terms to describe different ranks and levels of power and importance and authority of angelic beings. Well, in this particular context, it's talking about demonic beings. 
all of the demonic beings that have allied themselves against God and against Jesus will ultimately be defeated by Jesus. Jesus will conquer Satan, and Jesus will render completely harmless Satan's ultimate weapon, which is known as death. The Bible describes this in much greater detail in Revelation chapter 19 through 21. In Revelation chapter 19, Jesus is described as the rider on the white horse, the one who is known as faithful and true, the one who judges and makes war, the one who has a sword that comes out of his mouth, which means the weapon that Jesus fights with is simply the words that he speaks. And what Jesus will do is he will cast the beast, it says, and the false prophet into the bottomless pit and lock them and their influence away forever. And ultimately, Jesus will cast Satan into the bottomless pit and lock his influence away forever. And Jesus will conquer all of the fallen demonic powers that are against him and against his father. And then when we get to Revelation 21, it tells us what happens after Jesus' great victory. It says, He will wipe away every tear, all crying, all pain, and all grief from our eyes forever. What this means is because Jesus rose from the dead, we will participate in Jesus' victory over all the fallen demonic powers of the universe that are raging against us. We will win because Jesus will win. It cannot get any better. Now he ends up with this. We gain a resurrected creation. For the creation waits with eager longing for the revealing of the sons of God. For the creation was subjected to futility, not willingly, but because of him who subjected it, in hope that the creation itself will be set free from its bondage to corruption and obtain the freedom of the glory of the children of God. Jesus his resurrection doesn't just free us from the consequences of sin, so we will be with him for all eternity. He doesn't just resurrect our bodies and give them back as resurrection bodies that will live forever. Jesus' resurrection doesn't just enable us also to participate in his victory over fall, all the fallen demonic powers of the universe, but Jesus' resurrection allows us to participate in the resurrection of creation itself. Here we find out that Jesus will not just resurrect our bodies to new life, but he will resurrect this entire planet to new life. Folks, our planet is in bondage to sin. That is why we have earthquakes. That's why we have tsunamis. That is why we have cancers. That's why we have deadly viruses. When God made this creation in Genesis, none of that was here. He describes the creation as very good, as perfect. But what happened when Adam and Eve fell into sin, they also brought all sin into all of creation. Death didn't just enter the lives of Adam and Eve, but death entered this planet itself. But Jesus is so powerful, and his resurrection so glorious that his resurrection doesn't just impact our bodies and our lives. It changes this entire planet. 
Now, friends, the resurrection, if it was not true, it means we lose everything. But because the resurrection is true, it means we gain everything. We gain complete forgiveness of our sins. We gain resurrection bodies that last forever. We gain participation in Jesus' victory over all the fallen powers of the universe. And we gain a resurrected planet upon which we will live with Jesus forever in complete glory and joy. This is all of what's offered to us because of the resurrection of Jesus. And it's offered to you. And it's offered to me but only if we switch our family tree. This morning, have you switched your family tree? Are you still part of the tree of Adam, the tree of death, and the tree of addiction to sin? Or have you called out to God, asked for forgiveness of your sin, and looked to Jesus to save you from your sin and to be engrafted into his new tree, that your future is not death, but it is resurrection life? And today, instead of in bondage to sin, you can find freedom from sin if you call out to the resurrected living Jesus. Folks, because Jesus is alive, we have everything to gain and nothing to lose. Let us pray. Heavenly Father, thank you so much for your Son. Jesus, I thank you that you are alive and that you resurrected from the dead. And your resurrection from the dead gives us everything. It gives us freedom from sin. It gives us hope for the future. It gives us an eternity of victory on a new planet with you. We are so incredibly blessed. And I pray for those who may not know you this morning. May they look to you, Jesus. May they call out to you, Jesus. And today, may they switch family trees and be born again. We ask this in Christ's name. Amen. This has been a presentation of Crosswinds Church. More of Pastor Kurt's sermons can be found online at crosswinds.tv. Thanks for being with us, and may God continue to enrich your life.